Hey everybody, Joe here from the Lions Led by Donkeys podcast. If you enjoy what we do here on the show and you think it's worth your hard-earned money, you can support the show via Patreon. Just a $1 donation gets you access to bonus episodes, our Discord, and regular episodes before everybody else. If you donate at an elevated level, you get even more bonus content. A digital copy of my book, The Hooligans of Kandahar, and a sticker from our Teespring store. Our show will always be ad-free and is totally supporter-driven. We use that money to pay our bills, buy research materials that make this show possible, and support charities like the Curtis Red Crescent, the Flint Water Fund, and the Halo Trust. Consider joining the Legion of the Old Crow today. And now back to the show. Welcome back to the Lions Led by Donkeys podcast. I'm Joe, and I still almost forgot the, sh- the name of my own show. And with me is Liam. Hello, Liam. Hi, Joe. How you doing today, bud? I'm doing well, man. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm, I just unpacked a bunch of shit like we were talking about pre, pre-show. And uh, it's 10 p.m. for me here. Well, it's 9.51. And it's, what is it, 5.51 a.m. for you? It sure is. The, the the amount of logistics that's now required to make the show is, is sometimes baffling to me, especially when like we record bonus episodes, like we do the Rome cast, and it's me, Shox, and, and Francis, and so it's Armenia, Boston, and uh, Missouri. Uh, <laughs> it's the, mo- it, the miracles of modern technology, dude. Yeah, the the thousands of years of development, uh, all to create the dumbest fucking show I've ever made in my life. Uh, it's, it's many, a lot of fun. many, many dick jokes. Now we've spent the last couple of weeks kind of chilling, uh, when it, as far as, um, when it comes to lines up by donkeys, in my opinion, we haven't, we haven't talked about anything truly horrific. Uh, when it, again, when it comes to our show, um, that's, that's, that's going to change Liam. I'm sorry. <laughs> it's, you know, it's fine. I just, I'm just, I, I'm just here to take psychic damage. Yeah. You know? Show me on the Jewish man uh, where where you took the most psychic damage. No, I will say, I think this is the best way to talk about Auschwitz. <laughs> what a fucking <laughs> sentence! The reason why, bear with yeah, me. Yeah, the, the, yes, yes, yes. The the screams of anguish of my ancestors. Let's hear it, Joe. Now, the reason why is we talk about a lot of bad people on this show, and we will be talking about bad people during this series. Um, I know, big shocker. Uh, though, admittedly, sometimes uh, some of these people, the worst ones, are indescribably hilarious. Like Baron Ungern von Sternberg is still legitimately one of the funniest people I think we've ever talked about, despite the fact he might be one of the worst human beings to ever walk the earth. <laughs> <laughs> Um, and then we get people who aren't absolutely evil, but completely nuts. Um, I don't think we've ever legitimately talked about a good person. No, uh, most most people aren't good, man. Yeah, I mean, yeah, exactly. Um, prior to this, the closest I think would be John Robb, the Nazi Batman of Nanking, but he was still a fucking Nazi. Yeah, I, I, I remember learning about him on this show and just like you telling me that and just being like, if I have to root for the goddamn fucking Nazi, like <laughs> the, the things that the screams of the ancestors, thing. baby. <laughs> um, so even our, our g- quote, good people come with the old Barry Bonds asterisks next to it. Um, so today and for the next three weeks, we're going to talk 
about uh, someone who will absolutely break that mold, though it's still a morally gray area because we're talking about a real person. Um, and that is the Polish freedom fighter who literally broke into Auschwitz in order to get word of atrocities going on there. Witold Pilecki. Have you ever heard of Witold Pilecki? In passing, but I don't know his story. I, I will say it's not, as, <laughs> it's not as heroic as people think. More balls than I got, I'll tell you that. Yeah, like legitimately, he should be um, considered righteous among the nations, but he's not. Um, and well, there's, a, there's probably a very good explanation as to why, and we will get there. Hey, are we going to be reciting uh, communist lines or whatever it was we were doing in the last episode? Communist talking points, talking points. Communist everywhere. talking points from Wikipedia. Yeah. Um, yeah. No. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, that, that's because uh, we, were, we will be talking heavily about Poland during World War II. Oh, well, strap in, folks. Yeah, I'm going to say that uh, there's not going to be a lot of people happy with how I'm putting any of this. <laughs> hey, uh, can't wait to be criticized on the left because we made a, a, a I don't know, we're going to criticize a Molotov Ribbentrop Pact and just be accused of being like Nazi sympathizers or some shit. You know, as I sit here in my uh, uh, apartment in the former Soviet Union, I'll simply wait for those people to graduate from middle school before I accept their criticism. <laughs> now, before we start, there's going to be a lot of fair criticism about the Polish Home Army, and, and like I, I have to address this, most of which, and I'm going to say, is 100% valid. However, this is not an exhaustive series on the Polish Home Army's history, their part in World War II, or the occupation of Poland. Uh, instead of to make this listenable uh, in in any way makes sense uh, so i don't have to make a 10-part series to simply talk about one guy we're only going to talk about the home army as it impacts vetold and vice versa kind of like when we talked about leo major we didn't discuss the entire history of canada or canadian military forces in world war ii like give us enough time and we'll do it yeah now uh, our sources for the series are vetold plecky's own book uh made up of I believe it's made out of his diary. It's called the Auschwitz Volunteer Beyond Bravery. Uh, it's also Adam Coach's A Captain's Portrait and hands down the best book regarding the subject, The Volunteer by Jack Fairweather. Um, I recommend all three of those. The, the Volunteer is definitely the best. Though The Volunteer also goes into quite a bit that was absolutely not usable for this, which is why I recommend people read it. Like, it, I swear... It's like a like a James Bond spy novel. How Pilecki got some of the shit out of Poland. Like it involves a spy called Napoleon dressing up as like a diplomat. Oh, you must you must have been thrilled. It, it was it was great, and I really wanted to write about. It and I realized like this doesn't really work here. Like this is a different story. Mm -hmm. uh, again, that is the story of the Polish Home Army, not Pilecki. So I had to leave it out. Now, Witold Pilecki was born May 13th, 1901 in the town of Olenz Karelia in the Russian Empire. He was uh, the long-gone descendant of Polish-Lithuanian nobility, uh, who were called the Szlakja, which, yes, I assure you, I pronounced that correctly. Oh, I'm not doing it. <laughs> <laughs> Every Polish guy listening to this is jumping through their phone attempting to murder me. Oh, yeah. Uh uh, here's, a, here's a warning. Lots of Polish words. I'm not going to pronounce it. Not good correctly. pronunciation. Wrong, wrong side of, of communist occupation. <laughs> yeah, I, I'm in the Caucasus, not Eastern Europe. Not my specialty. <laughs> yeah, it's it's like 1900 miles that way. I'll never forget when like the, the war in Ukraine started. Someone asked if I was okay. 
because I was uh, I was in uh, before I moved here permanently. I was here in Yerevan, and I was like, "Have you ever glanced at a map?" <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm fine, guy. It's like you know, when the U.S. invades Iraq, you like text your cousin in like Kansas City, like "You good, bro?" His family had been exiled in the Karalia after uh, they had taken part in the January 1863 uprising, which what had once been the Polish-Lithuanian Commonwealth decided this uh, whole being part of the Russian Empire thing kind of fucking sucks. Uh, now, this was led by a disenfranchised nobility like his family, but there's also a lot of peasants involved. Uh, the whole thing may have actually succeeded. How'd that work it, out? Well, it didn't. Um, there's there's a reason why there's no uh, Poland Lithuania anymore. Uh, a yeah, a yeah. country doomed to never work from the start. <laughs> uh, Jews. Sometimes also Catholics. <laughs> it, now it may have actually worked if they picked a different time to do it. Um, Sorry, what year did you say this was? It was uh, 1863. Okay, so we're talking after the summer of revolution. Sure. After the Summer Revolution, after the Napoleonic Wars, before yeah. World War One, it was like that one six month to a year period in, in Europe at the time where nobody was trying to murder one another. So that meant that nobody was going to come to their aid. And in fact, uh, yeah, he, nobody wanted to put any skin in the game. Uh, and more actually more likely like Prussia actually helped them suppress the Poles, which thankfully would never happen again. Right. No, never um, again. Don't worry about that. Yeah. Now, people in Plecky's social, uh, people in Plecky's family and their social, like people that also have their social standing, were the, uh, the majority of the leadership of the uprising. And uh, many of them ended up at the end of a rope. But the ones who didn't were um, exiled out of Poland. Uh, a lot of them ended up in Ukraine and Russia, various other uh, imperial um, uh, territories. Which we cannot say it again, are not especially near each other. No, they are not. Like some of them ended up here, uh, which, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> sure. Uh, Why not? They must, have been, they must have been very confused when they showed up. Though that didn't mean this is specifically a rich guy conflict. Uh, it it was also a concept. Of, it was like it was a conflict that was slowly forming national identity, which was still kind of new for a lot of people at the time. Uh, which, as you might aware, the Russian Empire, the Soviet Union, and the Russian Federation really are not a fan of, and they try to kill and make everybody Russian. No, dude, no, you know better than that, Joe. Empire is good when it's not the United States, Joe. Oh, yeah, my bad. Yeah, uh, that's how it works, obviously. Different empires have different safety rules, and that's okay. The, it's the, the people's empire. It's fine. Um, no, it, it's Suck my uh, fucking dick. Social and cultural colonialism is fine when you have to learn how to speak Russian, not English. I'm not doing that. <laughs> Just because they have a different alphabet. <laughs> yeah, it's it's fine because it's confusing. Uh, which I, I still can't read Cyrillic, uh, nor do uh, I ever plan mm-hmm. to. I don't live in Russia. I shouldn't have to. Britain um, can, I think. I mean, it's from my understanding, it's easier than Armenian, but I'm having a hard enough time with one language. Uh, <laughs> Do you know how to read Cyrillic? Cyrillic? Cyrillic, yeah. So, I know how to pronounce it. Like, no. I can pronounce <laughs> the words, but I don't understand what they mean. Oh, that's me in Hebrew. Yeah, I can do that. I can. I know what that's the words sound like. I can't. I don't know Ukraine. Okay. Thank you. Uh, so, our Cyrillic expert's out the fucking window. Uh, uh, our Cyrillic expert has to take her makeup off, so she's gone. <laughs> <laughs> 
Um, but you know, this wasn't only rich people. In 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 a famous case, a bunch of untrained peasants grabbed their grabbed their farm tools to stand up to a charging army of Russian hussars. That sounds like an unpleasant way to go, man. <laughs> it, it didn't end well, but you know, they tried. Um, of course, this uprising didn't go great, leading to the Plecky family and a lot of the Pilecki family, not all of them, of course, because Vitold's still alive uh, and he was able to be born. Uh, but around 70,000 other people were exiled. Uh, many of them went to, to, where? to Serbia. Oh, oh okay. Uh, now, serfs were freed, uh, but then all the all the land was uh, taken from uh, from the elite and the peasants and sold back to them with uh, by the state with a 50% markup. Uh, with the added rule that um, the Schlatka couldn't purchase the land. So they did, this did do one important thing for the Russian Empire, which was ruin the Polish nobility. If there were no serfs, you have no power, they have no land, etc. They're no longer nobles, which of course is their goal. And not to say that they got rid of feudalism, uh, nobility, or slavery, they simply didn't let the Polish people do it anymore. And uh, with new new land rules in place... Uh, they completely disenfranchised it, it, so there wasn't another um, uprising. They had no the, the nobility had no power, had no reach, no influence anymore. Um, and really, all they did is lateral transfer the nobility titles and land over to Russians because they just wanted the nobility to be Russian. So that's how a Polish noble kid was born in the middle of Russia to a pretty poor poor family, despite the fact he came from fantastic wealth only about two generations before. Um, they stayed what long after the, yeah, shit sucks. Now, eventually the Poles are allowed to move back. Uh, but Plecki's dad, Julian had gotten a job as a forester. Uh, and that was how he was able to feed his family. So they didn't want to move back. He had five kids. Were you total. a forester at one point? It depends on what you call a forester. I was never a, a forestry person. I was a wildland firefighter, which there according to the U.S. according to the U.S. government, uh, the the actual title that is forestry technician, uh, which sounds a lot like a technician. Uh, Ooh, yeah, yeah. A lot, a lot of tech going into spray painting trees during the off season for log harvesting. Um, it sounds like uh, like custodial engineer. You know, like you yeah, need sure. to church it up. They had five kids in total, and once per year, they were all uh, sent back to Poland uh, because Julian, his dad, thought it was pretty important that his uh, his kids spoke Polish. They knew about Poland. They sure. knew about Polish culture and etc. Because um, the, the goal is that they always want to go back. Though eventually, the family was sent to Vilnius uh, for a better life while dad stayed behind to work and send money to them. Uh, Corelli, apparently not a great place to live. Uh, Plecky went to school. It's known that he went to uh, into trade school, but I can't really figure out what kind. Um, according to the Polish okay. government biography of him, these were known as commercial junior high schools. Uh, I, it, it's like uh, in Germany and a few other places, like school school can be called gymnasium. Like I'm not entirely sure yes, what yes, a commercial yes. junior high school is. Uh, it also notes that he got involved it in sounds the, like quote, a trade school. Yeah, he got involved in quote illegal scouting. Uh, which sounds like black market Boy Scout shit. I, I kind of like that. Like this idea of like foraging where you shouldn't be. Yeah. Like cooking up highly legal merit badges in the bathtub. <laughs> <laughs> Eventually, he, like all of us at one point, went to art school and dropped out. Um, <laughs> and, uh, around 1914, right after uh, Europe set itself on fire with World War One. However, Plecky was too young to fight in the war. 
And even though he wanted to, like he was going to go volunteer anyway, he was set away from the front line by his mother. So he didn't fight in World War I exactly. However, World War I ends, of course. And in 1918, the first Polish Republic is, declares independence from Russia, and they find themselves being immediately invaded by the Red Army in 1919. Things go swimmingly from there, right? Yeah. Plekia moved back to Vilnius and uh, was attending gymnasium, which is, uh, you know, Europe talk for secondary school or prep school for university. I'm sure someone's still going to correct me on that. I'm sorry. I just know American schools. Leave me alone. Uh, previously, this had been interrupted by this whole World War One thing, and he wanted to finish. Uh, a noted pain in the ass for your studies, you know, the world exploding in your backyard. However, now being invaded by Soviet soldiers, he volunteered to serve as a scout in a local self-defense unit. Despite Pilecki and others fighting street to street, house to house, Villainous eventually fell. He escaped, though uh, mo- most of his unit was destroyed, and he ended up joining a Lancers unit, i.e. cavalry, uh, in the defense of Warsaw and then joined the Polish Volunteer Army as they retook Vilnius. During this period, there's an outbreak of anti-Semitic violence in the city of Vilnius. And, uh, yep. yeah. As, uh, now, many, in the, in the, many people within the Polish military saw the same thing that the Nazis eventually saw, which was communism was inherently Jewish. And that meant Jews in no. general were, were a tool no. of communism. Thanks, now, guys. Yeah, it's that, Thanks. No. that old hat of classic anti-Semitism and conspiracy theory. Now, this pogrom that happened in Vilnius was strictly forbidden by the Polish Volunteer Command, but very little discipline was held over from their commanders to soldiers, and soldiers went ahead and did anyway. However, there's no evidence to suggest that Plecki took part in any of this, um, and judging by his future actions, it would seem completely out of character for him to do so. Uh, and, you know, as we're, as, since we're at this point, we should probably talk a little bit about what he thought about Jewish people. Because remember, he was a, a, a Pole who was descended from nobility who grew up in Russia. So those that's three strikes against him and how he probably saw Jewish people. Uh, in the volunteer, Fairweather notes, quote, he likely held paternal views towards local Polish and Belarusian peasants, sharing the, pre- the, prev- the prevailing anti-Semitic views, though never practice any. So... It's kind of like um, a, you know a white person that grows up in the suburbs. It's going to be sad, but I, I take what I could get, you know. Yeah, I mean, it's it's the early 1900s, and and uh, was someone who's effectively Russian nobility, uh, Polish nobility, like, they're not going to have egalitarian views of Jewish people. Uh, it's it's like like I've talked, I think we've talked about before. It's like this weird baseline anti-Semitism that existed at the time, and yeah. arguably still yeah. does now in the same area. Still does, yeah, yeah. It's uh, it was super common in Eastern Europe and really most of the world at this point in history. And I'm not saying that as an excuse. However, it seems his anti-Semitic views, if you want to call them that, I I think they are, were very internalized somewhat. As when anti-Semitic pogroms and discrimination became common, he spoke out against them. He never took part in any of them. He actively tried right. to stop them. So the best way. I could find it explained is that, you know, people are um, complicated. He yep. considered uh, he, he, he considered himself a Polish patriot, and he thought anybody who considered themselves a Pole was a Pole, regardless of religion. And that includes Jewish people. And at that point, especially certain parts that would eventually become the Polish Free Army in World War II, 
that was not the case. A lot of people considered you had to be a Catholic Polish uh, right. uh, man to be considered Polish and Jewish people could never be Polish. He did not believe that. Uh, even though he was Catholic, he was, I guess you call him a caf- cafeteria Catholic or whatever. Like he never really did anything, but he stayed out of, he never worked in politics or anything. Sure. So, but like it, it, by his own diary and especially by his, uh, his dispatches from Auschwitz, like, he he clearly grew up. This is the like nineteen nineteen at this point. Um, I think when he sees what the the a lot of people in Polish society and what the Nazis do to Jews, he grows up a bit. Sure, but at, at this point, he's he's a very normal person, which means a bad person. <laughs> right? Yeah. No, I mean that that makes sense. And like I've said, I mean you you can't really blame the camera for the picture it takes. And I say this is a Jewish person, like. I obviously know anti-Semitism. And I know that a lot for a lot of people, you it's not it's it's a weird kind of thing because I think a lot of people don't know like that they're anti-Semitic until someone sort of calls them on it. Yeah, it's 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 a lot like growing up in like a white suburb and swearing up and down you're not racist, but like you don't go like well, we yeah, we can't go to that like part you, of town. <laughs> right. <laughs> you know? Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Right. Um, and like it, I've already had to make peace with a Nazi on this show. Like you know. I can't get through anything, really. Like, like I said, I think at this point of his life, we wouldn't have liked him. Um, no, he grows we don't up really quite like a bit. anyone, though. <laughs> yeah, but so by 1921, the Polish-Soviet War was over, uh, or what is more realistic, they hit a pause button uh, because, as right. we all know, it happens again. Um, Pilecki didn't really feel like going back to school as his father got old and sick, and he eventually took over the family estate, which does make them sound like fancy, but it was mostly a dilapidated shithole and a money sink, which nobody had the money for. Sure. Um, he started working with a local union, uh, developed a milk cooperative and founded the local army reserve cavalry unit. A and you know, even, yeah, yeah. He, he, he moved to fucking Portland. Um, now by the early 1930s, he was married and had a kid. Like he was settled down. Most people probably didn't assume in nine years, their world was going to fucking end, but then it did. But then it did. In September 1939, the Nazis invaded. Uh, Plecky at this well, point was doing the, it. Uh, yeah, those Germans and Russians really don't want to leave fucking Poland alone. Uh, uh, Plecky at this point was the commander of the local reserve unit and quickly mustered everybody together. The Polish military could only supply them with ammo, and their doctrine at the time was to uh, supply themselves off civilians, which by that meant they stole from that the sounds civilians. like looting. Yeah, okay. Yeah. Yeah, I was like, that seems like a fancy way to say looting. Good old fashioned foraging at gunpoint, as some would say. Yeah, <laughs> yes, of, yes, yes. A of lot course. of drive-by horse theft going on. <laughs> uh, as Plucky left, he told his family that this. Don't worry, this would only last two weeks. Uh, oh they would, <laughs> they would effectively Sorry. never see him again. Yeah, they would almost never see him again. Um, now. The Nazi army was two times larger than Poland's. They had 10 times as many planes, 2,000 more tanks. Like, things weren't looking good. And this is only against the Nazis. Um, His men and his horses were loaded into a freight train, which I thought was funny. Uh, Like, I just see them, like, parking (laughs) their their horses, like, nose to ass in a a train um, and sent towards Warsaw. Whoa, what's the problem? You guys never never parked a horse? (laughs) Get a parallel park that horse. (laughs) <laughs> come on clip clop come on clip clop <laughs> he's polish his name's like clip or something oh. <laughs> uh, 
Uh, as they they were shipped several several hundred miles uh, away, and they got to their position to guard the main road leading to Warsaw in western Poland. Now, it was there that Pilecki may have gotten the hint that his commanders were not exactly up to the task of defending their country from the Nazis. Uh, like for example, his his commander ordered uh, their men to the front, but made sure to tell them, "Hey, travel by road. It will be faster than going through the forest." Now. That sounds like it makes a lot of sense if you were just say going for a walk, uh, right. but you know when you travel uh, through yeah, main roads, roads, yeah, like well, it's uh, the, the the German tanks aren't there yet, but you know famously Germany has the Luftwaffe. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. I hadn't thought of that. All right, yeah, fair enough. When you travel over main arteries of traffic in the open, you just get the shit bombed out of you because it's that's the first thing any air force is going to do. Right, of course. They got pretty fucked up. Pilecki's still alive. Uh, but after that, while on a scouting mission, he discovered something horrible. His lately armed scouting unit had been positioned directly in front of the Nazi 1st and 4th Panzer Divisions, over 600 tanks that had already smashed through the Polish defenses and advanced 60 miles in the first day of the war. Not a great time to be sitting on, a, on the back of a horse. I like that. <laughs> Fellas, we're going to need a whole lot of horse meat to stop these tanks. <laughs> Hey, you guys want to go work for Burger King? These uh, these Nazi tanks are going to harvest so much horse meat that the fucking uh, what, what was the uh, Burger King? What was the uh, the the British um, the supermarket that was quote unquote accidentally selling people horse meat? Horse meat Tesco, probably. Yeah, it's got to be Tesco. Yeah, twenty nine percent horse in your Tesco come from? Yeah. <laughs> hey, little did you know that all came from Poland. This is one hundred percent of the meat. Oh wow. Before long, the Polish army was in such a fast retreat that it created traffic jams, which were caught on a bridge outside of the town of Volbors, uh, another town I'm sure I named perfectly. Uh, the, sure the, the Nazi tanks did not slow down. Uh, oh, it, was in, it was remaining in horse meat. Uh, same thing. Uh, now, Come on, man. <laughs> horses know no borders. <laughs> you don't know borders, no nations, my anti-flag. It's just horses... <laughs> galloping along to that for some reason. That's right. And the Nazi tanks tore this retreating column apart. Uh, Plecki was almost killed. His horse was killed and he was thrown headfirst into a ditch and he lay there under a pile of dead people and horses helpless as most of his unit was massacred. It only took my ass. It only took a few minutes uh, and when the shooting stopped, he snuck away in the middle of the night. He found a few survivors, and uh, with them, they had horses, and they escaped into the woods. They decided it would be best if they pulled everything back to Warsaw to defend the capital as the Nazis rapidly closed in on all fronts. Now, remember, it's, they're still only fighting the Nazis. That's about to change. When he got there, he found the Polish government was already running. The British embassy was preparing, too, and panicking soldiers and civilians looted the Polish government liquor cabinets, which, sure. Understandable. The British government, for their part, took their time to load their entire five-ton wine collection into a truck before fleeing. No, they did not help anybody on the way out. <laughs> no, that's they're British, man. Now, um, even before you know the World War II and German occupation and Soviet occupation, there's a, a pretty large German-speaking minority within Poland. Mm-hmm. So, like Plecki was wandering through the streets, obviously in uniform. And he, he grabbed some local man and asked him in Polish, like, what the fuck is going on? And the man turned right. and smiled to him in German. 
uh, uh, and then said something to him in German. Plecky beat the ever living dog shit out of him with the hilt of his officer saber. <laughs> yeah. All right. <laughs> Now, it's clear that the, uh, to, to everybody at this point that the fall of Poland is happening. Uh, and it's happening so quickly, nobody had any time for the defense of war. Well, yeah, you don't load five tons of wine. <laughs> Speak for yourself, baby. That's what I'm doing after this. <laughs> like, the, there was, like, if there was a plan for defending Warsaw, the fall had happened so quick that they, it happened before there's any possible way to carry sure. out those plans. The the entire overall command of the army wasn't even in the city. It was in Lukov. So Plucky's like, I need to figure out what the fuck is going on. He jumps on a horse um, and runs to Lukov only to find that it had been bombed to shit. Like sure. it's, it's nothing but like uh, wreckage. So he realized then it's still totally hopeless. It seemed to him every, everybody had already given up the fight and were planning their escape, which Plecki refused to do. Uh, like a lot of the Polish army simply escaped over the border um, and were, you know, became the Polish Free Army, um, mm-hmm. working, working with the Allies and conventional military operations through most of the war. Plecki was like, sure. nah, I'm not about that life. I'm fighting in Poland. He, he met up with one of his fran- uh, friends from the last war, Major Jan Volkardowicz. I'm calling him Jan. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Voltarkovitz, Voltarkovitz, like you know, fucking great. Uh, Justin Rosniak. Next, (laughs) now they wanted to form uh, their own plans, and seemingly nobody else had one. They would make for the woods and conduct hit and run attacks uh, against the Nazis as they picked up more army stragglers fleeing from the destruction of their various units. And they began to do this. They achieved limited success because, you know, small unit, you only can do so much until the end of September. Remember, this is all the same month. Poland Mm. did not last very long. And there's a good reason for that, because the Soviet Union invaded after that. Wow, I can't believe they would do that. (laughs) <laughs> so trustworthy prior to this. You know, previous to this, the Soviets had signed the molotov ribbentrop Pact, which was a non-aggression pact. But more importantly, it also divided Northern and Eastern Europe into spheres of influence should a war kick off, which war kicked like off when Germany invaded Poland. Um, as Polish forces waited for the promised French and British support that never came, the Soviets invaded. Using the excuse that the Polish government was virtually defeated and therefore unable to govern itself. They argued that this created a security hazard to nearby Soviet territories. Of course, this is all bullshit, as the Soviets had actually been preparing for this invasion since the Nazis had started theirs. Um, and that also that rush job um, unplanning also shows how bad the, the invasion went. If the Poles were able to put up more of a fight, the Soviets would have been hurting. Uh, but, you know, already being invaded by Nazis, not a lot of fight left in them. Now, by this, by the point of the Soviet invasion, a full evacuation of the uniformed Polish army across the Romanian bridgehead was ordered so they could continue the fight from somewhere else. It was clear to everybody that Poland was not going to hold out, and they wanted to preserve whatever fighting force they could for later. However, this order really couldn't be given out due to all the chaos and ongoing fighting against Nazis. Many border units retreated while others fought in lieu of orders. In one case, General Ruckerman, which I'm sure you can tell from his last name was ethnically German, stationed on the east, received no orders whatsoever. So, 
you know, when the, when the Soviets came storming over the border, he's like, well, my last orders were to shoot anybody who invaded the country. So I might as well do that. So I guess I'm going to do that. All right. That's my day plan. Let's do this. <laughs> and he fought on the border. Uh, and eventually his unit had to like melt into the woods where they were anti-Soviet and anti-Nazi partisans until the end of the war. Warsaw surrendered on September 28th. The city had been bombed to hell on Hitler's personal orders because it held out longer than anybody thought it would. At this point, Plecky was still in the woods with Jan as it began to snow. They decided that they wouldn't be surrendering to anybody because they didn't trust the Soviets having both already fought them or the Germans because, you know, they're Nazis. They're they're Germans, right. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Plecky decided that if they were going to liberate Poland... The liberation would start in Warsaw. So that's where they went, which is now firmly under Nazi occupation. They didn't really have any plans, though. They knew at some point and soon the British and French were going to come storming through Europe. And uh, he needed to plan an uprising that would coincide with that coming Allied offensive. And poor sweet summer child is still the 30s. I feel so bad. (laughs) Yeah. That, that's going to continue coming up. It's like, he's like, well, the French and the British are coming. Everybody knows that. They're not Everybody's doing like, that, actually. Yeah. Yeah. Hindsight's a motherfucker in, in situations like these. At this point, and in, in German occupied, in the German occupied portion of Poland, uh, part of it was annexed to be part of the German Reich, and the other part became a colony. Um, around 5 million people were ordered exiled, and the Nazi racial system was put into place on whatever remained. Ethnic Germans were put in charge while ethnic Poles were laborers at best for now. Uh, we know where the story eventually goes. Meanwhile, the death squads of the Einsatzgruppen began uh, to murder the educated and professional classes of Poles. While on the other side of the divide, the Soviet Union did much of the same thing. So far, the killing stage of the Holocaust had not started, but the systemic and legal repression of the Nuremberg laws against the Jews had been exported to Poland, which is being administered by Hitler's former lawyer and future war crimes wind chime, Hans Frank. I'll do my best here to point out that all of the horrible Nazis died because it's like the only bright spot that we have for a long time. Um, Hans Hans Frank swung from a rope because that's what the piece of shit deserved. Actually, he deserved worse, but whatever. We'll take it. Yeah, we'll take it. Hans Frank was a bloodthirsty lunatic, and his decrees had been posted all over Warsaw, with Plecky seeing resistance stickers placed over them that said, we don't give a damn, or the direct Polish idiom of, quote, we have you deep in our asses, which, outstanding. (laughs) (laughs) I I love idioms like that. By November, Plecky and Jan were trying to make contact with these guys, the Polish resistance who were you know, bombing posters effectively. They eventually right. did. And they had their first meeting of Plecky's sister-in-law, sisters-in-law house, which doesn't exactly seem like the best kind of uh, operational that security. Is kind of, that is kind of funny, though. <laughs> it's just, yeah. like, just like 20 dudes all with like submachine guns just packed into port, some poor Polish woman's <laughs> house just bumping around like, do you have tea? Even funnier is I think it was like a small apartment. Like... <laughs> All these guys. No one notice us. No one notice us. Don't be suspicious. Don't be suspicious. If the Nazis come asking, uh, we are simply trying to change a light bulb. It's fine. All of us together. <laughs> uh, it was, and it, it wasn't like because, like, Pilecki had this idea that, like, you know, if we're gonna fight, if we're gonna, if we're gonna resist, we need to find all of the guys who bailed out of the army when like the the war was going badly because they know how to fight like their soldiers and instead it was pretty much just Jan and him and the whole bunch of like college students <laughs> which is like well just, just close. Dudes. yeah just some dudes 
I should point out it wasn't only just dudes. Actually, it was uh, for for because Jan was a hardcore Catholic, so it's actually kind of surprising that he was w- willing to work with like women partisans. You know, Balucky um, yeah. and friends. Plucky and Co. Plucky, Plucky and friends. I said Plucky. Um, now, Jan was a hardcore Catholic, and he believed that they needed to harness that Catholic identity to fight against the double occupation, uh, which is what it, 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 the, the situation in Poland is was. Is this going to be like the weird Mormon designer who worked on Doom? And, ex- and when people criticized him because he was a religious man making a violent video game, he pointed out that what you were doing was sending demons back to hell. So, what was the fucking problem? I mean, it's like, you know, murder is a sin. However, shooting Nazis is fine. (laughs) God God will sort it out. Don't worry about this. (laughs) Uh, Well, he believed in order to build a popular resistance, he needed to rally people around their Polish identity, which, sure. But also, he believed that Polish identity was inextricably linked to Catholicism. Yeah, of course, it it is. Uh, And Pilecki strongly disagreed. I guess. Pilecki was like, what? No. Uh, like he pointed out that becoming a theological insurgency would really alienate a lot of the Polish uh, population and uh, by the end of the meeting they agreed that they wouldn't do that when they formed the Tanya Arma Polska or the Polish secret army with Jan in command and Pilecki as their main recruiter and uh, by December they had recruited on 100 people the vast majority of whom like weird college activists and the occasional like escaped conscript but at the time, they agreed that, like, we're not a Catholic insurgent group. Like, that's not what we're doing. It's like when Christian metal bands uh, are like, no, we're not a Christian band. We're a band made of Christians. Yeah, we're, we're, not, a, we're not a Christian metal band. We're a band. Uh, we're a metal band that happens to be Christian. But also all of our songs in like very obviously Christian. That said, I like Norma Jean. Sue me. Is Norma Jean Christian? Yep. I had no idea. Yep. Uh, I mean, to be fair, I'm kind of an idiot when it comes to these things. Like my brother pointed out that like POD was a Christian band. And I was like, oh, yeah, they oh. are. Well, that makes a lot more sense now. Did you ever listen to Skillet, Joe? I haven't. You don't. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> now, by the winter, mass deportations from Western Poland into Warsaw had already begun, which, yeah, that's they're forming the Warsaw Ghetto. Right. Hundreds of thousands of people have been dumped into the street with no preparation. While many of these people were Jews, they weren't quite there yet. Uh, These were simply Polish people. Uh, Because not being Jewish but being Polish was not going to save you. Governor Frank ordered food rationing down to 500 calories a day, which you're thinking, wow, Joe, wouldn't that just kill you? Which, yes, that was the point. Ethnic Germans were allocated uh, uh, 2,500 calories. So, you know, a survivable ration. Must be nice. um, yeah. Jan and Pilecki uh, began to have arguments over the fact that uh, Jan was um, turned out to be a huge anti-Semite. Ah, oh, come on, man. Yeah. And Pilecki was not a, a big fan of that. Like he started writing uh, army newsletters that parroted a lot of the same shit that Nazis did just from a Thank different you. angle. Uh, right. And, and Pilecki uh, was not a huge fan of this. He's like, this is not what I signed up for. And right. but he but you know Jan was in charge. He had to outmaneuver him. He couldn't just be like, right. "Hey, quit being a fucking Nazi." Um, Plecky and his not insane allies within the secret army decided that they needed to team up against Jan. Uh, when Jan began flirting with the idea of joining forces with nationalists who had already kind of collaborated with the Nazis, um, wow. so like 
He's like, we, we have to outmaneuver this guy. So he reached out to the Union of Armed Struggle, which is another resistance group, which was backed officially by the Polish government exile. Uh, and he proposed joining forces. Now, this would cancel out Jan's right wing and Sandy for the official dumb of the government. Its commander, Stepan Rowecki, was noted as being a massive Sherlock Holmes nerd. Um, he was, was much more normal. Um, he was Plecky's kind of weird, but shared a lot of egalitarian ideas. Uh, and with Pilecki, Rowecki was um, quite worried about the safety of Poland's Jewish population. Uh, sure. With the with the German discrimination laws coming into effect, a lot of um, partisans being, you know, like Jan is like, you know, nobody is going to be able to defend these people. Right. Now, Rowecki knew that their power to, dir- to directly fight the Nazis was close to zero at the time. So he had settled into effectively becoming a vast network of intelligence gathering uh, uh, people. Like uh, He had a ton of spies, a ton of messengers that stretched across Europe, and their goal was to spread evidence of Nazi war crimes to the Allies. Now, they also right. tried to s- tell um, the Allies about war crimes uh, that the Soviets were carrying out. When, and then they quickly realized that the Allies didn't really like that because they're allies with the Soviets, so they focused on the Germans. Sure, uh, you know they were hoping to guilt trip them into actually doing something. Right, uh, and this actually did embarrass Germany in the short term. Not that that really matters. No, Nazis aren't so good at feeling shame, as it turns out. And also in May of 1940, when German forces were steamrolling through France, yeah, at that point, there really was nothing to be embarrassed about anymore. Like, what are you going to do? Stop us? You right, know? exactly. Uh, and you know, you know what they, 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 they should have tried? A little something right. I call the circle game. Now, hear me out. I'm listening. I'm all ears. You know, they wanted to embarrass the Nazis. You simply hold a circle simply just, just below their waist. And when, the, when, when Hitler looks, you, you get to hit him and then, then he's going to flinch. So you get two for flinching. Now he's embarrassed. I'm going to, I'm going to fly to Erevan and I'm, and I'm going to beat your ass. <laughs> I'm just, I'm giving you simple, but effective international it's, relations fixes. All right. I, 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 I know you're taller than me. You're not <laughs> taller than me by much. Yeah. Yeah. So I've got I feel, much on you. We we might be the tallest podcast, and uh, not counting how, like how people who play for Nate? the NBA. Uh, I don't know. I know Nick is as tall as I am, but I don't know how tall Nate is. He's close. Okay. Yeah, I always pictured Nick as like I always pictured Nick as like like on. I'm gonna be honest with you, like six ten, like, <laughs> like squeezing himself into a chair to podcast. Nick's dead, by the way. He's never coming back to that one guy who won't stop fucking complaining. <laughs> <laughs> now. The immediate aftermath of the Western European invasion came a massive crackdown against resistance groups. However, that didn't stop word getting back to the resistance in June that the Germans had been building a large camp at a pol- at an old Polish army base about 50 miles southwest of Krakow named Auschwitz. Now, this is not the Auschwitz of, of infamy yet. At this point, the camp is for Polish political prisoners and Polish people right, in right, general. Right, right, right. Now, this was uh, no political Don't prisoners. Worry, folks, a, we're going to get there. Yeah, we will. Um, it, the, the term "political prisoner" was quite fluid. It could have been someone who was communist, someone who was simply uh, considered a partisan. You could have been gay. Uh, like it, it was mostly political prisoners, and soon Soviet POWs. As crackdowns increased, more and more people filled this camp. 
And judging from the amount of death notices that SS was sending out, because it was something they actually did back then, uh, the resistance also knew that if you went in, there was a very good chance you were not coming out. Um, and like they, the the it's 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 a weird um, thing here because like they all assumed if they were captured, they would be tortured and executed because they're partisans, right? Like they they know that's what happens to partisans right, when you're, when you're fighting. That's the game, right? But they didn't like the the idea that the all these people were being sent to this camp and all of them were dying is like, well, that's new. That seems that seems different, you know. Right. So Jan had had, a, had had since agreed to join forces with Rowecki and his his union of armed struggle, and uh, they called him a, a meeting after the secret army chief of staff Vyadislav Sermeki got vanished by some Gestapo goons, and everybody was pretty sure he ended up in Auschwitz because that's where everybody ended up. Though to be fair, a lot of partisans got shot in the head before they made it that far. You know, being captured by right. the Nazis, not great. Uh, Rowecki pointed out that if they're passing war crimes info to the allies to make public, we need to get an account of what's happening in that camp, which sure. Right. Of course, at first, someone like, why don't we simply talk to people who had survived the camp? Then they quickly realized that nobody had done that yet. Uh, nobody had escaped alive at this point. Then there, there was like a parole system that would eventually put in like there's this there's this weird area. Uh, between when it became a when it was a Polish political prisoner camp uh, and a Soviet POW camp and then a death camp where like people could get parole and it's very weird but that hadn't started yet but in order to get news from the camp that meant they had to infiltrate the camp and gain as much intel as they could and you know best case scenario maybe raise a resistance cell organize a breakout or burn the fucking thing to the ground sure Jan to the absolute absolutely no surprise of anybody probably uh said that he knew one guy who could do this he told Pilecki. <laughs> Pilecki knew immediately that he was being punished for torpedoing Jan's shitty nationalist union idea and his like catholic nationalism um mm-hmm. like it's often have, have, have fun in auschwitz yeah like he was sending him to die i remember like this is a camp that n- nobody had survived yet uh, and right. uh, like it's often played that Plecky volunteered, you know, like the book is called The Volunteer. And you know, te- right. sure, technically he did, but he was it was a voluntold situation. He was he saw himself right. as a soldier, and he was being ordered to do this thing by someone who was he saw as his superior officer. Like you know, in in Plecky's position, you do as you're ordered. Um, however, he knew he was doing it to as a, a as a political punishment, effectively. Um, you know. In this right. case, the the orders he was being given were to break into fucking Auschwitz. Um, you know, I think I maybe wouldn't have done that, but I'm not a good soldier. No, I I would have shit and pissed my pants. Yeah, I was shitting and vomiting uh, simultaneously as I'm arrested by the Gestapo. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, Jan uh, said, "Well, because you couldn't just like show up at the the police station, but like I'm a I, I'm a partisan. Please arrest me. Like that's suspicious." Mm-hmm. So. Uh, a, a Polish police informant tipped them off that the Gestapo was doing a roundup uh, of they're just trying to arrest pretty much every military aged male, uh, ass- right, assuming that they are all involved in uh, some kind of partisan activity. So he uh, he went and plopped his ass down to get arrested. On September 18th, he packed a bag and went to go hang out at his sister in law's apartment, knowing at this point that this location had been uh, sold out and he would eventually be like they were just going through the apartment and arresting everybody that was a man of a certain age. But he didn't want to get arrested as 
Vitold Plecky. He had to have an assumed name and fake ID prepared for him. And sure, sure, sure. And somewhat hilariously, not that this happens often in, you know, Auschwitz, something funny did happen. Yes, famous for its mirth. Yeah, yeah. A place with no fucking yucks. (laughs) He picked the uh the identity of his friend from the school who he ended up running into in the fucking camp uh oh hey guy <laughs> and the germans had somehow not noticed that they had processed two people with the same identity <laughs> they're like yeah the plague he's like shut your fucking mouth don't call me Vito. <laughs> we're all the same here the next day that's exactly what happened german soldiers and cops went door to door grabbing every man that they found Anyone that was concerned an essential worker was allowed to go because, you know, they saw these people as labor. Anyone of military age and considered unemployed and therefore probably filling their off times with resistance activity was thrown in the back of a waiting truck. It was eventually brought to a horse barn. Everybody there was robbed blind. This is this is before they truly had the shit down to a science like there was there was no assembly line of human misery yet. But uh, they were robbed blind, forced to lay in the dirt with thousands of other people packed into a train with no uh, food or water or toilet and shipped towards Auschwitz. Right. That night, the train arrived. And as soon as the door opened, SS men began beating the shit out of everybody as they were ordered off the train. The SS men were smoking and laughing as the scene unfolded. And people began to being picked out at random to be shot in front of everybody else to set an example. Like this is uh, just random people. Like they were now after this, they were turned over to the Capos. Which mm-hmm. the term capo, which anybody who's listened to Liam before knows, generally notes a Jewish inmate there forced to collaborate with the Nazi guards. But that was not the case yet. Most capos were just hardened criminals um, who were known for their violence and given that job for that purpose. They, they would have worn a green camp badge. Like anyone who's listened to Liam, goddamn, dude. <laughs> hey, I've, it's not wrong, but goddamn, dude. <laughs> uh, I've. We've had this conversation. <laughs> yes, we have. Uh, and you know the 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 story of Cap- That's the worst insult I got for Ben Shapiro, and I'm going to use it. And you know the 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 story of the term "capo" for for Jewish people. Of course, I'm never going to correct Liam for saying it. Is complicated. It is, but I'm still going to do it, baby. And I'm going to say for these people with the green camp badge uh, who were hardened criminals, it is not complicated. These people were fucking right. psychopaths, right? Like these guys were all transferred from regular prisons to become SS functionaries. According to Heinrich, Heinrich Himmler, right. this is a cost saving measure uh, because the more assholes with the clubs you have standing around, the fewer SS guards you have to deploy and spend money on. And not to mention, they would do things that even the SS considered like intolerable. Despicable. Yeah. Sure. Now, each prisoner was asked what their job was. And one man said he was a judge. The capos beat him to death on the spot. Then came Christ. doctors, lawyers, and any Jews. Uh, now, some Jews did survive this process, of course, because they they probably quickly learned, like, uh, I'm Catholic. Well, if I could, <laughs> yeah, Catholic. Hail Mary, full of grace. Yeah. Let's do this. Yep. And also, sometimes the capos just wouldn't beat them to death because like those weren't their orders at the time yet. As this is Auschwitz one, this is not the death camp yet. Like they're not murdering everybody. Their goal, their goal is labor. Um, which the labor would eventually lead to death as well, which we'll talk about. But like they want something from these prisoners most of the time, though they're killing people they think might be smart enough to become a camp leader. You know, that's why people who they knew to be officers in the Polish military, high ranking officers, they got the club too, because they didn't want anybody to be able to organize anybody. 
Now, uh, the survivors uh, were told, quote, Let none of you imagine you will ever leave this place alive. The rations have been calculated, so you'll only survive six weeks. Now, that order was given by Obersturmfuhrer Fritz Seidler, who uh, was described during his time working at Mathausen, which was a different concentration camp. Quote, he loved to hit, kill, and injure people, particularly favoring a punch to the face to break the victim's jaw. Seidler was executed by the U.S. Army in 1945 under... Sorry, killed by the U.S. Army in 1945 under uh, unclear circumstances, but I'm sure it hurt. Uh, it was one of those situations, one of the few situations, because it's often said that this happened at a large scale, where the U.S. Army saw what was happening in the camp and just went hog wild killing SS men. It was one of those mm-hmm. that did happen occasionally. Shit happens. Yeah. Like famous. There was, there was more than one execution. Can't wait for us to get criticized for this, but like, yeah, as a Jewish man, uh, sometimes you look the other way, you know? Oh, the army looked the other way on quite a few occasions. Um, famously, they armed camp survivors and like turned them loose on their own guards. <laughs> yeah, see, that's fair. That way, that's that's not violating the Geneva Convention, but we're doing it. There's another occasion when um, I, I was a pretty young soldier saw what happened in one of the camps that the that the army liberated, and he went. He immediately walked back over to where like the guards were standing and like picked up a machine gun and waxed a couple of them. Yeah, that's fair. Yeah, like. Yeah, of course it's going to happen. Yeah, I know it's a war crime. I'm going to look the other way for this one, folks. Sorry, get mad at me in the comments, I guess. My hot take is sometimes two rungs do equal, right? <laughs> yeah, yep, I'm taking that one. I'm with Joe. To quote Sogomon Tetlerian, I have killed a man, but I'm not a murderer. Now, um, the surviving prisoners of that survived this process, of course. Oh, another officer, just so people know how early this was happening, pointed to the smokestacks of the camp and said, quote, the chimney is your only way to freedom. That was already happening. Yeah, they already they already had the the incinerators running. Now, the surviving prisoners that made it this far were shaved and deloused. There were no gas chambers yet, uh, but there were delousing chambers, which is I'm going to have to do another episode of Holocaust denial at some point because the other one is already out of date. But (laughs) uh, what a sentence. Yeah, I mean, it was a long time ago. I'm better at it now. Maybe we need to do an, an update. Uh, now at this, I'm Jewish. Yeah. Have me on, <laughs> have me on my own podcast. Yeah, here. exactly. I, I don't know. We'll have, we'll have we'll have to do a job interview. Uh, question number one: Are you Jewish? <laughs> <laughs> now uh, at this yes. point, at this point, they were giving a uniform, and political prisoners wore the red triangle. Um, and uh, Plecky became Auschwitz prisoner forty eight fifty nine, uh, which you know they took pretty. Very, like that's why um, I, I don't understand people who deny shit like this happening because all of our records come from the Nazis. It's wild, dude. No, the it's, Nazis it's kept incredibly I, good I records. Yeah. Um, after this, each uh, group of prisoners was split up into groups of a hundred and backed into a single barracks room of three hundred square feet, where they pretty much slept on top of one another. Now, daily life in the camp at this point was just violence from the capos or the guards, uh, pretty much constantly and around the clock, like. And when they weren't working, they would randomly have to do like military formations and stuff, um, march and sing songs. Like there was an Auschwitz camp song. Jesus fucking Christ. Um, if you've ever seen the uh, incredibly grim uh, documentary called Shoah, uh, which yes. I can't recommend anybody watch, quite honestly, it's awful. Uh, and I don't mean awful as in quality. I mean, it will scar you as a person. Yeah, no, watch it. Watch it. I had to for Sunday school. You should suffer like I did. Uh, there, there's a scene where the the guy um, 
interviews a Treblinka camp guard and he sings the Treblinka camp song and jokes. He's like, I'm the only person that can still sing this song. Like the, the it, it's wild to think that death camps had songs that prisoners were forced to sing, but yep. they did. Uh, and if they did it incorrectly, they, they would get the shit beat out of them. Nazis, not good people. Yeah, who would have thought? Not really, not really people. Sorry. Yeah, I'm turning on the 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 Jewish rage here, like that scene from Inglorious Bastards. I would like to see the, like inventing a kind of guy who's upset that you're mad at Nazis. <laughs> that I'm sure somebody is going. Someone's going to be mad. At, they they do that. I mean, if you are one of those people and you listen to the show, I, I hope you stop. Below me. <laughs> uh, you know, after this, uh, like there, there, there was a, a series of rules put in place at the camp that made breaking them part of everyday camp life. Like uh, things like running without appropriate athletic prose was against the law. What, I don't even know what that is. Uh, I, I will say the Jewish people are not known for athleticism, but even so. Did, do you run funny? That's a clubbing. Uh, like they they were designed <laughs> so at any given moment the prisoner was in violation of a regulation. Now a, a pretty large part of Pilecki's notes at this period are dedicated kind of hilariously to how dumb the fucking capos are. Like they were they were picked for their capacity for violence, not brains. Uh, and Pilecki and a few others end up volunteering for work duty um, because it was better than this bullshit military formation singing shit that everybody because they would keep you busy from sunrise to sunset regardless and. The best way for prisoners to try to survive this was to make it as least bad as possible for themselves. And that's why they wanted to volunteer to work in the woodshop. It was out of the elements. It was inside. It was away from capos generally. But they didn't... It wasn't... There was no on-the-job training. It was a job for carpenters. They only wanted skilled tradespeople to do this. And Pilecki absolutely was not. But they simply lied. Um, and like, no, no, I'm totally a carpenter. So like when him and this other guy built this like fucked up looking table that just fell over and collapsed, <laughs> like the, the capos are like, you said you're a tradesman. He's like, I am. And he blamed it on the quality of the nails and the wood. And the cop was like, yeah, that checks out. <laughs> like you built a three legged <laughs> table. Sucks here, huh, guy? <laughs> yeah. uh, the prisoners starving and being constantly beaten were also at each other's throats, which is a part of the Holocaust is, what they want. Yeah. is generally not talked about. Right. Um, this was not just political prisoners. This happened uh, when Jews started populating the camps as well. As people were stealing from each other, they were murdering one another because, like, they effectively were turned into wild animals trying animals. to survive. Yeah. Like that was their yeah. goal. Not to mention, like you said, Nazis' goal: if you're at each other's throat, you can't you can't organize against us. Um, at the point that, like. They some inmates formed gangs. They preyed upon new inmates to steal what they had, try to survive. Uh, and Pilecki had no idea how he was going to build a resistance cell out of this. Like, how the fuck do you organize these people? They turn into human predators. Right. They're at, at the absolute lowest they're ever going to be. Right. Not to mention the entire camp functioned around snitching, either uh, like to right. get like because you were awarded, cooperated and lived a little longer. Right. Yeah, you'd get food, and people were literally starving to death. Like the daily currency was ratting. So like, you know, whether it be like, I'm going to beat the shit out of you unless you tell me this or that, or I'll give you this hunk of bread. Like there's a lot of people that that sounded really good and you can hardly blame them. Like they, it was their life. Eventually, Plecky did begin recruiting because he's like, well, I can at least look for people who are in the Polish army. Like then we have something in common. This included a work foreman who had once been a Polish army captain. 
uh, and was trusted enough to lead outside work details. Like he was this weird gray zone. He wasn't an inmate, but the Germans fucking hated him, mostly because he's Polish. But like he was put in charge of remodeling the camp for Camp Com- or the, the garden for Camp Commandant Rudolf Haas. Ugh. Another future wind chime, by the way. Yeah. I'm not going to go too far into Haas because this isn't about him, but he was literally the reason the deadliest camp in human history existed. Auschwitz was his yep. idea. Uh, like he was a fucking monster beyond all human comprehension. Uh, he was considered such an important cog in the death machine that Him- Himmler would eventually uh, tell him about the so called final solution personally, which only mm-hmm. maybe a handful of people were told that. Not even like there's argue- arguably that not even Hitler. Knew that much, <laughs> like right. Um, very few people uh, knew about the great length in detail of the final solution, and he was one of them. So he was legitimately one of the worst human beings ever be born. Um, he was also the person who came up with gas chambers. He tested them, and the mm-hmm. technique to use Zyklon B was his idea. Conservatively, he was blamed directly. 3.5 million deaths, which if you notice is over half of the Holocaust. It's fucking insane. And these guys are remodeling his garden. Right. Um, though th- it was all this physical labor and a horrible starvation diet, but they were it, like the capos weren't allowed around Haas's house because the capos were fucking gross, violent criminals. And he was a Nazi officer. He's like, keep those people away from me. Right. Um, but so they were allowed to speak freely, largely as they worked on this garden, which they purposely did incredibly slowly, so they could continue going out there for longer sure. and longer. Um, uh, like it, it was, it was pretty good, and uh, they had enough time while working on this garden. I don't know how the fuck you remodel a garden this long, but they were allowed. They were alone for so long they could effectively interrogate people before allowing them into right. the resistance cell. All while working on, again, one of the most evil men on the planet's gardens. However, he quickly found that in the violence of the camp, anyone could be a Gestapo or Capo snitch. So he eventually developed another metric for recruitment. Simply selflessness. He needed to build solidarity amongst a group of prisoners that would act as an alternative power structure to Capo violence. In order to do Mm -hmm. that, he had to find people who would look out for their fellow man rather than try to fuck them over. So if he saw someone who wasn't stealing or would share their food or would stand up for someone who was being picked on, like they became recruited. Right. This wasn't a perfect solution, but it worked. And once they were in, he had certain rules. Um, like he, so every room in the camp had a, had a room supervisor at the time. That would eventually go away right. as well. But in the political prisoner camp and, and camp one, and he was in charge of his room. Like Plecky eventually became in charge of his room. And he ordered food to be given out equally. And the weakest among them to be eat to eat first with their commanders to eat last. Right. Um, and if anybody had a problem with that, they were immediately ejected. Mm-hmm. It, it wasn't a perfect solution, but it worked. It did teach him that some people were... Hashtag team better than nothing. Yeah, exactly. It, it also did teach him a valuable lesson that some people were so far gone. Like they'd become... Right. that they could not be saved or recruited. They'd become human sharks preying on the weak, and he refused right. to work with them or protect them in any way. Uh, and if he, like he ordered people within his resistance cell that if they saw another inmate being attacked, they, they needed to defend them. Now, this did not count right. for capos or guards because it's a death sentence. 
Uh, you, if, right. if you're getting your ass rolled up by a capo, you just have to accept the beating. But if, if it was another inmate, like Pilecki told him, like, you will defend people, you will kill another prisoner if you have to. However, this system kind of failed as the, the, the shop foreman died of pneumonia because, again, he's working in this awful camp as well. The workload continued to increase as the camp rapidly expanded as hundreds and then thousands of new prisoners arrived every single day. Now, Plecky himself eventually caught a lung infection that caused a rapid fever uh, and it oh, almost killed him. How uh, Plecky and his small force had eventually managed to get a message out to the Polish home army through a verbal message memorized by a paroled former army officer before his release. Rorecki finally learned about the realities of Auschwitz and soon he'd start spreading it and Auschwitz itself would continue to spread. And that is where we'll right. pick up next time. Next time it's get pretty dark. Um, yeah, no, Auschwitz famously light. Well, it's not often you have a firsthand of account of someone watching the Holocaust start. Right, right. Um, because Plecky watched as you know they built Camp Two. He watched as they right. built gas chambers, and he wasn't like. But like, it's also kind of aggravating because like occasionally you're like. He, <laughs> The lack of of you know the, they call it what lack of imagination sometimes yeah because um, like the first people executed in Auschwitz weren't Jews they were actually Soviet POWs that's who they test the gas chambers mm-hmm. on and he watched it mm-hmm. happen and he was like wonder why they're doing that like what are they doing and like they must be testing chemical weapons for war like cause who would think oh they're simply going to murder every Jew on the planet like nobody's going to think that but so like when you're reading it with you know hindsight being a motherfucker you're like. Vetold, you stupid motherfucker. <laughs> like, <you can't>. yep. <laughs> but that's Vetold Plecky part one. Uh, how, do, how do you feel so far about our boy Vetold so far? Lots of, uh, I mean, I don't know, man. Uh, you know, being a Jewish person, you got to accept anti-heroes. Yeah. I just made my peace with it at this point. Yeah. And like, like I said, it, uh, when it, when it comes to something like this, like I, I had to root for a fucking Nazi during the Nanking episode. I could do anything at this point for this fucking podcast. I will say, at least he's not a Nazi. We can say that with comfortability. Yeah. <laughs> like, I know that when it comes to the 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 August uh, institution of the Lions Led by Donkeys podcast, someone simply not being a Nazi does put you above about 50 episodes. Like a people. lot of people, yeah. actually. Yeah. <laughs> now, uh, that is part one. Uh, Liam, plug your shows. Hey, uh, listen to Well, There's Your Problem, listen to 10,000 Losses, listen to See You Screw It, listen. Yeah, that's it. That's all I got. Uh, and uh, thank you, everybody, for listening. If you like what we do here, consider supporting the show. Uh, you get bonus stuff. Please. It helps keep the show running and all that. Um, and if, if, if you don't, uh, leave a review. It's, it's free. It helps us. Uh, and we enjoy looking at them because it lets us know that you enjoy what, what we do here. Because um, sometimes we're literally just speaking into a microphone. And we have no idea how our episodes are received. Um, mm-hmm. Well, most of the time, if you... Five star reviews feel good. Yeah. To be fair, if people hate it, they're very, very free letting us know. <laughs> uh, but everybody, thank you again so much. Uh, and we'll talk to you next week. Uh, Vito Plecky, part two.